Tonight's reading is from uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, uh, starting at verse 1, and then chapter 19, 13, and then chapter 25 from verse 34. Chapter 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child here is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. And then to chapter 19, verse 13. Then little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went from there. And now to chapter 25, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Thanks, Nat, very much indeed for reading those striking and uh, refreshing passages that give us a, a, a different view on life to the one that's uh, uh, characteristic and certainly a different view on life to one that was standard in the day of Jesus. It's quite revolutionary stuff that the, somehow the secret of life and the secret of God's purposes rests with children. It's a provoking and mysterious idea to unpack. Thank you for your invitation. Thank you for your welcome, Mike, this evening. It's lovely to be with you this evening. And it's been so refreshing, actually, to be with you this evening in this context of prayer, where, which can suddenly shoot off in all kinds of directions, uh, with one prayer meeting going on at the back of the church, another one at the front, and everyone in the middle getting on with it themselves. Now, it's, it's been lovely, actually, to be with you this evening and to share in that atmosphere of prayer and that sense of expectancy um, that, that is with us tonight and is so commonly uh, present here at St. Saviour's. Uh, I'd like to bring you greetings from Common Ground, which is a mission community to which I belong in the centre of town. When I uh, stepped down from St. Saviour's 15 months or so ago, uh, I was invited and I joined with Christians from a number of churches, including St. Saviour's, uh, to form a, 
a community for reaching out in creative mission to our town to be based at St. Mary's Church, the ancient church in the, in the center of town. Um, and that's been a, a great experience. It's been uh, full of uncertainty and full of exploration. Um, and uh, we didn't know where it was heading. But 15 months later, we have a, a community of about 30 people um, who have not left their home churches, uh, but have been in some measure released to participate in this, in this venture, to work together across the churches of our town to do something fresh and creative uh, in, in our town for the gospel. Um, this past term, for ex example, we've been exploring uh, in a uh, below-the-radar kind of way what night church might look like in our town. It's a big thing uh, in various parts of Europe. Uh, in this country, not something we've explored very much. But if you open the church on a Friday night from, shall we say, 10 o'clock at night till 2 in the morning, you get a different demographic, let me tell you. And um, it's actually very interesting to see what happens. We have uh, time, we light the church well, there's time and space for quiet and reflection. There are what we might call prayer stations, but which are just uh, focuses for thought and consideration that people um, come and explore. We've had a huge world map. We've had thoughts for the night about world events. We've served uh, hot chocolate in the, uh, in, in the uh, entrance to the church. And we've had uh, a steady stream of people coming in during, during the evening. Some of them just enjoy the church for a while. Some of them sit and talk. Uh, I've talked to people for an hour and more about matters of life and faith and what they're doing with their lives. It's been a, a really interesting uh, opening, new opening, and that's certainly one thing that we will continue with. And just one other thing, um, last year on New Year's Eve, we opened St. Mary's and we're doing the same again this year, this year from one o'clock in the afternoon to eight o'clock and inviting people in the town to come in and make their New Year resolutions there in St. Mary's in a place of prayer and with the possibility that after they've prepared their resolutions, if they wish, uh, they will be brought to a, a simple service of prayer at the end of the day and, and offered to God. Um, so it, it's, it's fun and it's really interesting and uh, lots of new things can unfold. Um, we love people to pray with us for this. We have a circle of people who pray. Uh, if you're interested in either being involved a bit um, or in being part of the prayer circle, I'd love to hear from you. But uh, St. Saviour's has been a brilliant support for this. We have maybe a dozen people from St. Saviour's who are participating in it. Mike asked me to speak uh, today. I've been here this morning and this evening about how we welcome Christ at Christmas time? How do we actually welcome him into our lives? Amidst the mayhem, amidst the busyness, amidst the travel, the family stuff, the ups and downs, that, that is our experience of, of Christmas. My mind went straight away to uh, another kind of welcome we've had in our family. Uh, over the past five or six weeks, I've become a grandfather for the first time. And uh, uh, young Isaac is my grandchild. And I was just interested in the language we used. Um, I looked at some of the cards that people sent to my, to my daughter. Uh, and many of them said, welcome. 
welcome Isaac to our world, welcome Isaac to our family, welcome. And it was interesting, the instinct we had was when this new little baby uh, was born, was given to us in this way, um, that we wanted to say, welcome. And so it seems at Christmas, and we're going to have a, an interesting Christmas because it's so long now since we had a, a tiny baby in our family at Christmas time, and the resonance with the Christmas story and our own journey as a family around this time will, will be really interesting. Um, and to reflect on the, the wonder and the miracle of human life and of the extraordinary journey of a tiny baby into this world and into family life, just how precious it is and just how extraordinary and wonderful it, it is and what a journey has begun, uh, a journey that we trust will be full of love and good things and giftedness and achievement and we, we wish for and we pray for so many good things but we don't know what the future will be and how it will unfold. When we talk about Christmas, so that we are therefore, we really are talking about welcome because at the heart of it is the most human story imaginable. It is just the simple story at one level of a young family coming together, a, a young man and his wife, and the, the gift of a child. And Christmas is a time for honoring, respecting, treasuring the gift of human life and the gift of young human life uh, in, into our family, li family life. Uh, this church is one which is uh, strikingly blessed, particularly when you come on a Sunday morning with uh, youngsters and babies and, and young families. And we want Christmas at a time to celebrate that, to enjoy it, uh, to uh, just be amazed and overwhelmed at God's gift of life. But there's another welcome because Christ welcomes us. And there's, it's this double welcome I want to talk about this evening, just for a few minutes. The welcome we need to make to God's great initiative of love into our world. The gift of his own son to be born in this extraordinarily fragile and vulnerable way amongst us. We welcome the Christ child, but beyond that is the extraordinary welcome he gives to us. And the thing I want to start by saying is this, that the heart of the Christian story and, and the heart of human, uh, of human experience in our world is the loving welcome of God. That is the heart of the story. And that is the deepest thing you can ever get your head and heart and life around. That at the heart of all things in this world is the loving welcome of God. The Bible starts with a, a very lovely and tender picture of uh, Adam and Eve as our forefathers, uh, as our ancestors, and God walking together in the cool of the evening in the garden of God's creation. Lovely picture of welcome and inclusion and of fellowship and of heads together in conversation and in trust and confidence. The Bible then suggests what we know to be profoundly true 
and that that has escaped us. It has slipped through our fingers. We have lost it in large measure. And the next thing we see is that when God, in, in the way the story is told, as he comes to the garden in the evening, he can't find his friends. He can't find the people that he, he created to be his confidants and his stewards of his wonderful creation. He can't find them. Where are you? He says, in the way this story is, is unfolded for us. And they're nowhere to be found because they're hiding. They're hiding in shame because of their disobedience. It's a tragic image, but it's one that we recognize. I think we, we know that we, we hide. We hide from ourselves. We're reluctant to, to face the truth about ourselves. We spend much of our lives building walls of protection against ourselves and our own vulnerability. And we build walls between ourselves and our, our loved ones, our wives and our husbands with our families. We build walls against those we work with and those we share life with. And we are great at the skill of hiding. The most profound thing that we can discover in life is the love of God that gives us the confidence to begin to dismantle those walls, those defensive and protective measures that protect us from being known. Because in the end, we are made to be known. We are made to be known by God. And we are made to know and be truly present, truly open, truly in relationship with each other. The problem is we have spent our whole life building protective walls to prevent that happening. So Christmas is a time when welcome is on the agenda. God's great welcome demonstrated in the gift of this little child and the invitation to us to be people who welcome him into our lives and welcome those around us into our lives in trust and, com and, uh, and confidence. Um, perhaps we could see uh, the first picture. I came across, uh, I hope you, yes, I hope you can see that, that clearly. I was recently on a retreat time at place in Leicestershire called Lorne Abbey, which is a kind of Christian conference center place. And at the entrance to that, they have this sculpture, which is called the Welcoming Christ. And at first I wasn't very struck with it because it's actually um, getting rather, uh, it's crumbling in its old age and they are in fact involved in uh, trying to make uh, an exact replica of it because it's been a very powerful image for the church in, in Leicestershire. First, I wasn't very struck, but I went back and I spent time with it, and it had a, quite a deep impact on me. That image of, of Christ, not a powerful, authoritative, regal figure, actually a figure of some vulnerability, though of dignity, I, I think, but the striking thing is his arms. They go out and out forever. They are extended like this. The welcoming Christ has arms that stretch out and out. I was reminded when I was looking at it that of a, a wonderful hymn by Charles Wesley which, which has the line, 
the arms that compass me would all mankind embrace. And this sculpture seems to me to capture that biblical truth that the welcome of God and the love of God can only be expressed by arms that go on and on forever, as it were, to encompass and embrace the, the human race. There's a vulnerability about this picture too. It's about welcome and inclusion, but it's not about empire and power and building, building great, uh, great systems of authority. It's not, about, it's not about that kind of inclusion. It's about the inclusion of love and the inclusion of us in our vulnerability uh, and, and in, our, in our weakness. How does the Christmas story connect with this? First, we can look at the, the second picture I have selected for us this evening. That comes through clearly. It's by an American uh, artist called Bonnell, who does uh, a lot of biblical uh, paintings, and some of them, some of them are really striking. I went, and th this one uh, riveted me the first time I, I saw it. I, for uh, someone else was publishing a book, and they were asking for if I had any ideas for a cover picture, and I came across this one. They didn't use it actually, but I, I think it's. Uh, uh, a fabulous painting. I wonder if you've ever wondered what that night was like, that Christmas Eve uh, long ago, when it was as if no longer could heaven contain its joy, could, no longer could heaven s just uh, allow uh, life to continue without the, the great trumpet blast, without rending the whole sky open and letting humanity know what on earth was going on. And what was going on was God's new rescue mission into his broken world, the world which was hiding. And uh, Luke's account speaks of angelic choirs and of uh, the, the song of the angels and of uh, an angel who speaks. It's about power and magnificence and glory and... Uh, the painting here captures that, and the, the sky is filled with a, a great chaos and confusion and bewilderment of, of angels filling the sky, um, and in a way, sort of pointing the way to Bethlehem in the, in the far distance. Um, I, I love it. Let's just allow ourselves to be caught up in that, because this evening I want us to journey, and I want us to discover the welcome of God in a fresh way. The moment has come. God is seeking human beings out. No longer is he simply saying, where are you? But he's saying, I'm coming to find you. My rescue mission has begun. He has come to be with us. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And he is coming in the wonder and the beauty, the delight, and the fragility of a little child. This is the extraordinary announcement that causes the skies to be torn apart and a great trumpet blast of angel voices just shouting the praise of God. Today, glory for you, glory in Bethlehem, an invitation to you, a savior is born, prince of peace, Glory for you, go and see. And it's for you and me this season as it was for them. 
Luke's intention in his gospel is that we should hear the call of the angels and not just see it as a, a, a distant account of uh, long ago. He wants us to hear that invitation for ourselves because the one who is born, the fragile baby, is Emmanuel. He is God with us forever. He is here for you and he is here for me. So let's go this Christmas time. Let us not miss the opportunity in imagination, in faith and in our minds to go to Bethlehem and see what has come to pass. Hold the next picture just, just for a moment. I think the question is this, is if we go in imagination, if we go in faith, if we go for the sake of ourselves to Bethlehem as it were, what will we find when we open the door? What will we find when we open the door? What does God's new secret, what does God's new welcome look like? We think we know because we've seen it a million times on the Christmas cards. We think we know because we've sung all the carols. We think we've got this one bottled up. We think we've got it in its, in its boxes and we think we know what this welcome looks like. A few years ago, well, a good number of years ago, 20 years ago, I got this, post, this Christmas card through the post. Uh, we had left Sudan at that time, and it was sent to me by a friend we had worked with in, in Sudan. It was his Christmas offering. Here it is. I still can't live with it. 20 years later, it, it disturbs me and it causes me, me pain, and it did then. It was not very surprising because Mark and we ourselves and other friends with whom he shared this drawing of his, he drew it himself, was a reflection on our experience of living in Sudan, South Sudan and working with South Sudanese people at that time. Uh, you saw in uh, Tim and Hannah's presentation that the story still continues and you saw the uh, scarred body there of a boy soldier from, from South Sudan. The tragedy is that what Mark was capturing in this, in this picture is still the, the case today. It came back to my mind for this reason. I hadn't thought about it for years. As I say, this is 20 years ago. But it came back to my mind because of that picture of the welcoming Christ with his arms outstretched and those fingers bending inwards almost like an appeal. And what came to my mind was how Mark had drawn the figure of Christ in this picture with the thin skeletal hands stretched out in welcome. Only the figure is not the plump baby of our imagination and our Christmas cards. The figure is a refugee child starving with his distended stomach, the image that we've seen so many times uh, over recent years in whether it is to do with Syria 
or whether it is to do with Sudan itself, whether it is to do with other countries around the world. This welcome is different. This is still Emmanuel, God with us, but he is God with us in a different place. He is God with us in the Syrian refugee camps and in the horrors of the Yemen, of South Sudan, of northern Nigeria, of a bomb blast in Manchester. You can add to the list. It spoke to us at that time because it spoke to exactly what was happening in Sudan. It was at the height of the civil war with massive displacement, with murders and massacres and conflict between uh, rebel soldiers in the south and armies from North Sudan. It was hell on earth. And we were living in Nairobi and working with Sudan because we had to live in Nairobi. There was no, no safety in South Sudan at that time. And in this picture here, Mark, it is in fact, despite its pain, an image of enormous hope. The vision is of the soldiers, the rebel soldiers of the SPLA, the Sudan People's Liberation Army, coming to the feet of a little child, Christ himself in the form of a refugee child and laying down their AK-47s. They're there at the front of the picture. And it's a picture too of Arab traders who had long exploited South Sudan, had long uh, uh, taken its wealth and, and, and treasures away, also coming to the feet of the Christ child. And Mark, this, this, is, this is an authentic Christmas gospel picture. This is not imagination. This, this is implicit within everything the gospel has. Mark is saying it is only when we come to the feet of Christ who can be found in the place of suffering and destitution that we will find hope. But hope can be found there if we will lay down the weapons that we use to destroy each other. Where, what will we find when we open the door to the stable, as we say, and we find ourselves at the feet of the Christ child? We find the glory of God in the face of a humble family at the mercy of the swirling tides of politics and economics of war and poverty we find the face of the Prince of Peace in a starving child. And in this we see God's deep, deep challenge to the forces of power and violence, greed and selfishness. This is why I read those later passages from Matthew's Gospel, because that is where in a unique way, in a way that was radical then and is still radical, Jesus affirms the place of that kind of fragility, the fragility of a little child in the purpose of God and in revealing what the heart of God is like and where healing hope and salvation for our world rests. And there is a remarkable 
line there, whoever welcomes a little child in my name welcomes me. I think that's an extraordinary line. In Matthew's understanding, I'm sure it goes back to Matthew chapter 2 and the birth story that is there and the story of the Magi. In that chapter, Matthew dispenses with all other names for Christ. He is no longer Christ or, or Jesus or Emmanuel or the son of David or the son of Abraham. All of that is laid aside. And for that chapter, the chapter which includes the massacre of the little boys in Bethlehem and includes the flight of the Holy Family as refugees into Egypt, Christ is only described as the child. And later on, it is Jesus himself, the child, who says, whoever welcomes a child in my name welcomes me. And extending that, that other passage from Matthew 25, um, where Jesus teaches that when we clothe the naked and feed the hungry and visit the prisoner and visit the sick, we visit him. When did we do that, Lord? When, when did we ever visit you in prison? When did we ever clothe you? When you did it for one of these. You did it for me. That is what is opened up for us when we open the door. When we open the door to the stable, that is what we find inside. And my invitation to you this Christmas time is to have the courage to open that door to see what is God's new initiative, what is his rescue mission into, the, into his world, how it is expressed. It is the most extraordinary and surprising and upside-down kind of thing that you could imagine. It is the glory of God seen in the face of a fragile child. And that fragile child is God's hopeful intrusion into our world. It changes the values of our world. It changes our values. We see it in fresh ways. And finally, just a final picture, one which uh, um, has been squeezed out that way so everyone looks very fat. I'm sorry about that. Um, some of you may recognize it as the cover of my book about the Magi. Uh, this is not a plug for my, my book, though I'm always willing to sell a copy. Um, but I just want you to look at it I uh, decided to use this as the cover for my book about the Magi before I saw this. And after I saw it, I thought, how could I not see what is happening in this picture? It's by a man called He Shi, who's a Chinese artist, um, who was a young artist during the Cultural Revolution and uh, painted portraits of Chairman Mao. Sometime during the Cultural Revolution, he became a Christian and he began to explore his new faith through art, uh, painting pictures mainly from the New Testament. And I'm not sure this was painted at that time. I think it was. I believe it was. And so it may have been one of those painted on cloth, rolled up and taken from village to village for teaching purposes. But what I want you to notice as I just finish this evening is the third of the Magi the one with the green shirt 
at the front of the picture there. He is inviting us into the circle. The hand is beckoning. And this picture says to us, this scene, this extraordinary scene of God's rescue mission into our world is one where you have a place. You are invited to become part of this story. You are invited to be someone who joins in this extraordinary invasion of human values, of human history, and of the human story. You are invited to take part, and there is a place for you. And I'm sure in the painting of this picture, the space is in the bottom left-hand corner there, next to the manger, and just below the picture of Mary and the child. There is an empty space, and it is there for you. Andy, thank you. That was wonderful.